All right. Uh, we will start in three, two, and... Transformers Chronicles, The Marvel Years. Hello and welcome back to Transformers Chronicles. I am Delvin, aka The Dark Web, and in case you are new to the show, welcome. And let me tell you what this thing is all about. We're going for a wild, crazy ride, chronicling the awesome, wacky, and sometimes corny world of Marvel Comics, The Transformers. But I am not going at it alone. No, sir. No, ma'am. First up, there is Jonathan Schaefer-Hames. He's a Transformers expert, also the lesser half of Married Watching Cartoons. Hi, John. How are you? Hello, Delvin. I am well, unlike some Transformers that we're going to be reading about today. I have no tiny little robotic organisms after me, but just in case they are, I'm, I've got my bottle of Chippewa Valley spring water next to me. Just That's to, always good. Keeping oneself hydrated when being attacked by those sort of things is, is a good Hydration. idea. Hydration often is the cure to a lot of things, so I think you're on the right track, John. That's true. <laughs> I think you're on the right track. Also, welcome back. Missed you from uh, last episode. Yes, we were. What was, why weren't we there? You weren't feeling well, or was that the one? I don't know. We're back now. I hope that uh, that the other John was able to fill in well in, in my absence, and you weren't too confused. We had two Delvins followed by two Johns. Do we, do we know another Maggie we could get there, on? There for? could be only one. Only one, okay. Yeah. Unlike the Highlander. <laughs> I see. Right. I can imagine that. Maggie, wasn't there like a big competition of, what was the name? Was it Chris or Jason, where they all met at this field and had this battle, and it is four-year-old, like Chris or something, won like the competition, and he's like the best of all Chris's. You have no idea what I'm talking about? I have absolutely no, no idea. idea what you're talking about. But the best oh. of all Chris's is a great title. Yes. Yeah, it was it was adorable. They met like at, at a field and had like a battle, and then like at the end of the battle, like this four year old was crowned like the best of all Chris's or Aww. Jason. I can't remember what name it was. That's adorable. But it was it was really cool. That's if, cute. If I were that kid, I would be clinging to that for the rest of my natural life, no matter what was bad. Yeah, well, I'm the best of all Chris's. We had a battle and everything. <laughs> oh, you you absolutely put that on a resume. I put on my resumes that I am the second best Delvin out there in podcasting. Like, so <laughs> oh, <laughs> there is, tied for first. Tied for first, yeah. There is that. All right. As you've already heard, her wonderful voice, we are also graced. With Maggie Schaefer, the greater half of Mary Watching Cartoons. Hello, Maggie. Welcome to the show. Hello, Delvin. Thank you. Nice to be back. Yes. It's comfortable. It's familiar. Have, great to have y'all back. I, I, I am very glad to see you both. I wish Pat were here too and, and we could be a cozy foursome. But you know what? Pat will be back next episode, I certainly hope and pray. And we can hold it down, um, just the three of us. We can make it if we try. Do our own. Is there anything? <laughs> is there anything new and exciting that you like to tell me about your your life, Maggie? Uh boy, that feels like a lot of pressure because nothing really cool or interesting really happens. I mean, I made it another revolution around the sun recently since last episode, so that's something. Being a whole other year older, that's great. Heck yes! Happy birthday. Not yeah, thank you. No existential dread whatsoever. <laughs> None here. <laughs> no. So I tell you what, I, I'm fortunate in that 
Like I have a mom. I mean, she's lovely. She's beautiful inside and out. I am, of course, biased, but <laughs> she has never had an issue with telling people her, people her age. <laughs> and I have taken that same tack. Like I have no problem telling anyone that as of this recording that I'm 44 years old. I have no issues with that whatsoever because it's like, you know what? I'm here and and I'm not going to spend my time being too worried about something that I can't prevent. Everyone gets older. That's the, you know, the course of of nature. And so mm-hmm. just got to spend the time doing the things that we can do with the people we like and love, which is why we're here, right? Right. I, on the other hand, will continually refer to myself as being 3017. So <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't mind it. I don't think I'm I mean, I don't I feel like if anything else, I feel like I've become more of an adult like in your 20s you think that you're an adult and you're not until you because then you get into your 30s and you realize oh no this is what being an adult is like this this is this is true adulthood now and it's actually kind of a cool feeling it's taken a little bit of an adjustment but it's all right as i'm sure i've said on some podcasts when i turned 30 turning 30 wasn't a real big deal. The weirdest part about it was when someone asked me how old I was, I'm like, Oh, I'm 30. And I'm like, 30. Me? <laughs> I'm talking about, I'm talking about me. I'm the 30 year old. Wow. Okay. <laughs> but that was, that was the craziest thing to me. Once I got past that, it was okay. And now of course, mm-hmm. at this point, you know, I'm six years away from <sighs> 50. So, you know, I, it just is what it is. You, you just yep. got to, you stay, you keep hydrating, hydrating yourself with water and, yes. and inside and out and just stay as young as you can. And that's all you can do. Yeah. Beauty tips from Delvin aside. <laughs> <laughs> the purpose of this podcast will be tackling all of Marvel's Transformers comics in order, starting with issue one and working our way to the series in at issue 80. And we're already at 30. It, it really feels like we just started. We will answer any questions that are brought up to the best of our ability and see how these books we loved as a kid hold up to our cynical adult eyes. This podcast is guaranteed to be, you guessed it, more than meets the eye. So, John and Maggie, let's find out what this cure is to the scraplets right after this promo. I'm sure it'll be complicated. It was the film. <laughs> <laughs> The Transformers will return after these messages. You are receiving a transmission from the Rod Pod. Upload pending. Stand by for soundtrack transfer. I am Maggie. And I am John. And we are trapped, hurtling through space in a ship shaped like Rodimus's head. The ship, for reasons we haven't been able to determine, contains the entire run of the IDW Transformers Phase 2 comic. Which chronicle the events following the end of the war between the Autobots and Decepticons. So we figure we may as well read them all in order and report our findings to you. Stand by. Stand by. Upload complete now. The Rod Pod. Look for us at marriedwcomics.libsyn.com. 
at iTunes, at Stitcher, or wherever good podcasts can be found. So, uh, tell all our one. Tell all our one. We now return to the Transformers. Welcome back. The issue we will be covering today is Transformers issue 30. And here is John with the cover description. All right. Thanks, Delvin. Uh, This cover features three household appliances, a vacuum cleaner, a lamp, and an old-style icebox next to each other with a pinkish background. Now, this cover is not the sort of things that fans of the band would come to expect, as this, their debut album, was entirely in the hands of the record company, a situation that singer Robert Smith would never allow to happen again. John, quit screwing around. What? Oh, so you meant the Transformers comic called The Cure, not the 1979 debut album of the band The Cure, Three Imaginary Boys. Well, don't I feel silly. Anyway, the real Cure cover box features Grimlock, our Autobot leader, uh, transformed to T-Rex mode uh, with an orange background. The More Than Meets the Eye slogan and Transformers logo is in yellow, which nicely offsets the purple background. Uh, the main action below shows an epic battle between a bunch of Throttlebots and a Transformer-sized white humanoid figure, which is holding a tank from the back of a truck above its head that says BlackRock on it. One Throttlebot, and I'm sorry my Transformers expertise stopped short of remembering the names of particular Throttlebots not named Chase or Goldbug. But anyway, the Throttlebot, colored green and brown, is punching the figure in the solar plexus, but this fist has gone right through it T-1000 style. The other Throttlebots look on in surprise and horror as the caption box in the lower right corner tells us that this issue introduces the Throttlebots. The scene is shown from an interesting skewed angle with really cool effect. And that is the cover, folks. I guess I'll just go ahead and say what I think about it. I like this cover. I do like the the skewed angle. It's a nice, simple description of something that will happen in the issue. It's got a cool effect. The effect of his fist punching through and the like little bits, because it's, I didn't describe it as such because it isn't revealed till in the story, but this is like basically a, a gestalt bunch of scraplets that have all formed some giant, humanoid thing and as he punches it they are able to move out of the way of his fist like liquid metal style and it's a really really cool effect and the reactions of all of the uh, of the autobots as they're seeing this happen is pretty neat and i do like the skewed what do you what do you call that it's like the villain camera a dutch angle it's a dutch angle thank you i mean this could be like another ivan chudley moment here but if i remember it correctly from when my mom taught film class, uh, when they film things at kind of that odd angle, it's called, I think it's called a Dutch angle, and it's meant to make things seem kind of topsy-turvy. You're not entirely sure of what's going on. I, th- I think that's what it's called. A quick Google search will prove me wrong, Internet, so go for it. All <laughs> right. Well, while the Internet does that, <laughs> what do you think of it, Matt, uh, Delvin? I always like that we we have such different views on you know sometimes opinions and oftentimes covers and i looked at this cover and i wasn't super impressed there were some things i liked and the things i like i love i love the color i love the background color that purple just seems pretty and then the background against like the yellow and white transformers logo that they use that really pops that's really cool um I liked the action of it where I'm like you. I don't remember the name of the green throttle bot that's doing the punching. I liked the action of that throttle bot, but like it seemed like um, Herb Trimpey, who uh, drew this cover, it seems like he rushed the rest of it. Like 
I don't know what he could have done with the scraplet just thought any differently, but I wish that there was a way that he could have better showcased the other throttle bots because it just looked like they were very hastily um, drawn. Some of them, they weren't the best colored. And I'm surprised that that's something you didn't say. Um, and Oh, I'll not, get to it. <laughs> I know you will. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not the craziest about this, co this cover. Some decent things, but I'm not the craziest about it. Maggie, what do you think? I'm with you. I really liked that purple gradient in the background. I thought that looked really slick with the Transformers logo. I also like little Grimlock in the corner box. I just like Grimlock. Um, the Gestalt was cool. It's not the same color as it is in the book. So I was like, is this because of like the light is hitting it differently or <laughs> is this just bad coloring? Um, column A, column B, who knows? But I mean, I liked it. I wasn't wowed by the cover. Honestly, the purple was the thing that I liked the most. So it, it it's it's a serviceable cover. It does show something that happens in the book, which I appreciate. So, you know, it's all right. Well, with that, we should rate it here on Transformers Chronicles. I don't even need the script anymore for this. I've done it <laughs> 29 times at this point. We rate things on a scale of 1 to 10, just like the tech specs of old on those toys that we love so much. So we'll start with Maggie. Maggie, what would you rate this oh, cover? Jeez, I was hoping you weren't going to start with me. Uh, okay, 1 to 10. So I'd put it at like a 6. It's all right. I think it's better than half. You know, I think it's better than a 5, but only by 1. So I'll, I'll give it a 6. And I'm going to go one lower. I'm going to go with a five. Five is average mm -hmm. on this one. And I think it's an average cover. We have seen some good stuff from her, Trimpy. Mm -hmm. And I don't think this was among his great, his greatest, even though he had a good idea. The Like the action scene with the one throttle bot during the punch and showing a few things that happened in the book. Yay. But I just think it could have been a little bit of a, a better job overall in the execution. John, what would you rate it? Uh, I'll be a little higher than you guys. I'll give it a seven. I I mean, I agree with everything you guys say about the things that brought it down, but I do like the, the things that I do like about it, you know, bring it up to a seven for me. Not tremendous, but not terrible. Mm -hmm. yep. That's fair. Gotcha. And here's Maggie with the credits for the issue. Thank you, Delvin. This issue is Transformers number 30. Its on-sale date was April 14th, 1987. Cover date, July 1987. Cover price was a whole dollar. Don't spend it all in one place. I'm just amazed that you could buy it for a dollar. It was just recently. It was 75 cents until a couple of months previous. Yeah, I thought that had changed. Yeah. Uh, story was by Bob Budiansky. Pencils by Don Perlin. Inks, Ian Aiken and Brian Garvey. Colors were done by Nelson Yamtoff. Letters by Janice Chang. Editor was Don Daly. And the cover credits go to Herb Trimpey, as who was previously mentioned. Thanks to Mike's Amazing World and TFWiki.net. And thank you, Maggie. And now it's time for the synopsis. It is a world transformed, where things are not what they seem. It is the world of the Transformers! The title of this issue was The Cure. Last issue, we left a scraplet-riddled gold bug in the desert with Charles Fong, 
running out of time and energy to find a cure for those scrapbooks. What happened to them? We'll get to that. Don't be in such a hurry. Patience is a virtue. We start in Cybertron, where the fuel rating throttle bots get captured by Ratbat and the Decepticons, and Ratbat gives them a proposition they kinda can't refuse. Go to Earth and eradicate the scraplets and any bot infected with said scraplets. Off to Earth they go to find the scraplet depleted triple changer Decepticons and Blaster in a pit. They also notice tracks leading away from the pit and two of the throttle bots go off with a vat of acid of which they catch up to Goldbug and Fong, where Fong found out that the cure to Scraplets is water. Thanks to Fong's quick thinking, Goldbug is spared the acid, and all the Autobots go back to the pit, where GB Blackrock meets them with tankers of water. I'm running long, so I'll wrap up. The Scraplets combine to form this big giant creature, which the Triple Changers defeat after Goldbug sprays them and Blaster with water. Astro Train hits Blackrock with some sort of hypnosis, and the Decepticons escape with the cargo that was in the pit, of which the purpose is going to be revealed probably in the next issue. Be patient. Again, virtue. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the book. On Transformers Chronicles, we take turns bringing up something from the comics, starting with, but not limited to, goods, bads, and everyone talks about it. We will start with the Lady of the Room. Maggie, what do you have? Hi, Lo. Any discussion points? The issue was kind of a tricky one for me to think about in terms of podcasting because it struck me as kind of a filler issue. And it was it's an all right story. But I all I kept thinking to myself was the only thing I have to say is that I don't have a whole heck of a lot to say about it. It I liked the art and the scraplets. I guess if I was going to start with something, I'd say the scraplets made me think of gremlins. Not only with the, there's kind of like the water connotation, but also they're they're kind of cute, but they're cute in like a menacing way. Mm-hmm. Little, you know, we see robots, we hungry, we eat, <laughs> and these little, you know, naturally occurring gears and pulleys, uh, <laughs> as we as we have in this era of Transformer stories, uh, these little naturally occurring nuts, bolts, and screws. Um, and but I but I did like when they would like dig in to one of the Transformers. All I could think of was like ticks, you know, and like nasty little bugs that get into your skin and made me feel kind of icky. So I feel the scraplets for me, fairly effective. Yeah. I mean, I'd say they're pretty effective. They gave the living mechanical life forms pretty much everything that they can handle, even an individual or that just thought form that no one knew that they could do. Mm-hmm, so that was cool. they're a pretty impressive foe. John, what do you got? Yeah, I'm of two minds on them. Uh, they are they're interesting, and they they're interesting enough that the scraplets do come back in different iterations a lot. I mean, they Ooh. were in Transformers Prime. They show up, and I think Transformers Animated in the IDW comics they show up um, also specifically at. And the t- it, it seems to have come. The term scraplet dates back to issue number three where Rumble uh, calls spark plug scraplet as an obvious derogatory term. So I thought it was, so I thought it was cool at the time when they showed up and it's like, Oh, so it's not just a a thing you call it. You're calling them this horrible parasite that you're afraid of, which is, you know, interesting considering that Rumble, you know, is probably the only one who can get beaten up by a human. So, (laughs) (laughs) but they, they were a little too cutesy for me with the, the meat, you know, how they, the, the we, hungry? we hungry, we eat thing. But mm-hmm. then the boring was weird. Yeah. I'm not sure if the whole thing does remind me of an IDW comic we covered 
with they had the there was a a plague of some sort. What was was that just called rust? It's called something, but I don't remember what. Well, but we know which one we're talking about. The one with the rust. Yes, <laughs> there was a disease that passed very rapidly through transformers, and they would start basically leaking um, rust in like everywhere and they would be crying rust and it was incredibly mm. disturbing it was really creepy it's so a great in, issue. in that compared to this this is less so but still any sort of story about a disease is always going to be a little woogie for me especially with modern times i was so. going to say especially now it, it ends up being accidentally kind of timely well, if only that we can get COVID-19 to form like some giant thing. We have enough weapons. We could take it down. <laughs> we, we, can, we can have a never forget day based off of it. It'd be fantastic. <laughs> and it'd be over. <laughs> but current events aside, uh, I'll take a turn. Why not? I thought it was a straightforward enough story. Uh, they were like, I mean, they said the next issue was called The Cure. They kept it relatively contained to where, you know, you didn't have the scraplets, you know, just being so smart that they were like, okay, let's branch off and find more of these robots. They were just interested in the robots that were directly in front of them. Mm -hmm. So that made it self-contained. I definitely like the uh, redemption arc that Goldbug had with Blaster and that now they're stronger buddies from it, uh, excuse me, for it. I thought that was cool too. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I was glad that they were able to make up because man, uh, y'all weren't here, but we talked about just how angry Blaster was last issue. Man, he was just ticked off at Goldbug. Like, you did not back my play, and now you're running away like a punk, man. Mm-hmm. I am, I, I, I hate you. If I ever see you, I'm ripping you apart. He was mad. He was so mad. So I like that there was a redemption arc and a redemption uh, story uh, between those two. And I, I think there was some hinting in this that a lot of Blaster's attitude was all tied up in his guilt over losing Scrounge, which probably really led to how he was insisting that Goldbug kill him. You know, oh, to kind of yeah, that, to, I sort of got that to idea balance too. the scales of the whole problem. Because let's not forget, not only did he lose Scrounge, but it's Blaster's fault that there's a space bridge. You know, he had the opportunity when Spanner was, oh, poor Spanner. Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say, let's not also forget that that space bridge is still Spanner the entire time, too. Yes. Yeah, I I try to forget that, but you guys keep bringing it up and it depresses me. (laughs) The body horror of that act really works for me. I Every time the space bridge is used, I cry on the inside. (laughs) That poor Autobot. It's, It's worth mentioning also, though, I think that Blaster just has a healthy, if you can call hate healthy, a healthy hate for Decepticons because he was mm-hmm. like, nah, I'll trade one of me dying if it means three of them sure. die. I'm good oh, with absolutely. it. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that definitely comes from the their different situation that they're coming from. I mean, Bumblebee, Bumblebee Goldbug's been offline for four million years and has been fighting a relatively contained battle against a few Decepticons, whereas... Blaster is fighting for his life with a small cell living underground against all what what seems to be an overwhelmingly decept an overwhelming Decepticon force on Cybertron. It seems obvious that they are in charge of the planet at this point, and they're barely holding on. I love that Ratbat's a bureaucrat. I think that's pretty <laughs> awesome. He's like what he's in charge of fuel distribution. Yep, something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. I just think that's wonderful. There's this bat robot hanging upside down from the ceiling, nonetheless, which I also appreciate. <laughs> who's just he's some evil 
creepy, you know, bureaucrat working the red tape. They've done a good job in introducing Ratbat. And I'll tell you one more thing about Ratbat. He's, he's for a tape, they made him pretty cool to draw. I like how Don Perlin, like when mm-hmm. he got came into action, he was a kind of fun character to see moving around and being more kinetic because at first they just had him kind of just perched upside down. Um, and now he at least was leaping to action when he was talking with the throttle bot. So I thought that was cool too. Mm-hmm. Um, Maggie, back to you. Do you have uh, any other topics that you want to talk about? One of the things I wanted to mention about Mr. Charlie Fong was that he was, if I understand what the comic was telling me correctly, he was being held like not held down or pinned, but like kind of held back by these gas station attendants for an hour and a half (laughs) (laughs) because he's at the gas station. And then they cut to I think the throttle bots for a little bit. And then it's when, and then it's, it says 93 minutes later and they've got him against the wall next to a hose that says water because that's (laughs) what he's trying to get. And I, but at 93 minutes, like really? (laughs) Well, I think, I think 93 minutes was kind of, I kind of took a, a few liberties with that. Like, I think that included the time that um, that Fong was pushing Goldbug, found the gas station, then yeah. got him to the gas station to get the water to and I kind of thought stuff. so. Because otherwise that was like, that That doesn't make any sense. That We must have started at the same time as something else happening and then moved forward. But I just I felt, well, felt kind of bad also, for the guy also. He's you know, almost dead in the desert. Well, also understand that, you know, because after it took them hours, Fong and Goldbug, yeah. to get to where they got to. But a fully fueled uh, group of throttle bots, they were able to cover the distance in a shorter amount of time. Mm-hmm. That's a long time to be pushing a Volkswagen through the desert. Mm-hmm. And I picture the beginning of it going, this is going no- hey, nowhere. Hey, on your planet, have they heard of putting it in neutral? <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Keep your foot off the brake. Yeah, they were. I mean, I give Fong credit, though. Uh, he could have just at any point been like, well, okay, Goldbug, well, see ya. <laughs> yeah, right? You could have just left him in the desert for sure. And he didn't. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, credit to, to Charlie. One of these days, I'm going to, once we have an, enough of them to do so, I'm going to just rank all of the humans we've seen in terms of the amount of crap they've had to go through, you know, on a scale of O to Circuit Breaker, the oh, amount we'll man, see how yeah. who's had to go through worse stuff. Who wins the trauma game? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's that's actually a pretty good topic for a discussion. I'd love to see what Pat thought about that, too. As far as just pure trauma, I would say Circuit Breaker because... Oh, for, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, I guess I haven't right. encountered many other humans, but she'd definitely be right on up there. I mean, for for physical stuff and mental, definitely. I mean, GB, I mean, he's definitely got a bit of PTSD going on. He's This poor guy has to continually help out these guys, and all they ever do is make his life miserable. Well, and now something else has happened to him that's oh, unclear as of right now, so mm-hmm. it's only going to get worse for GB. I'm, I'm glad. I like GB Blackrock a lot. So the question is, well, actually, very quickly, I want to add that we have to remember that Optimus Prime asked Buster's like, uh, could you take these two wires oh, right. and put them to oh, your yeah. head? <laughs> and so we haven't, I mean, met, we haven't met or seen what happens to Buster's older brother Spike yet either. Yep. Uh, don't give away too much. No, I'm not. Take no, no, he's not. Just, yeah. I don't know what's going to happen with that, but I imagine I it's only going to get worse for the humans. 
Yeah, you know, the humans definitely have their role to play in the Transformers saga. That's for sure. Uh, we should at least talk about, like, you know, the Throttlebots, right? Did, did you guys have any good, bad thoughts about uh, the, let's see, there's six of them. Is that Septet? Or is that yeah. seven? Six of them would be, be a sextet. sextet, which is sextet. also. Sextet, yes. Which is also a category. Oh, never mind. Um, I'll. I was trying to make a, a juvenile joke because the word sex is in it. Mm-hmm. And it, it obviously didn't work because you won't stop looking at me that way. Okay. You're also just to my left. So oh, okay. <laughs> I'm pointed in this direction. Uh, the throttle bots are, you know, they are pretty fire and forget, I think. Um, and I, I don't want to harp on it too much because I harp on it enough. But in this case, I think it is worth pointing out that the coloring errors and actually general art errors make it really hard to keep track of which one is which. There's a couple that the white one and the, one of the blue one, I think, they keep swapping the color scheme and also their heads. Hmm. Uh, so th- I I gave up trying to keep track of which one's wide load I knew because he was the dump truck. Hmm. And um, Chase I knew because I had him as a toy. Sure. But but I did like them in the beginning, their little um, you know, dirty dozen secret mission. On Cybertron, that was that was a lot of fun. I like any sort of time we get to go back to Cybertron. I love how it, I I love how the way that um, it's drawn and all of that stuff and Ratbats capturing them and sending them on the you know secret doomed mission and like oh no how are they going to get out of this? It was a it was a nice way to introduce them, but it could have been literally any group of Autobots really. I thought it was an inventive way to get them to go, and it was and because at first when I saw them attacking, I'm like. Would they even do this mission? It's like, well, yeah, just like you said, Dirty Dozen. It was kind of like, well, you you do this or we could just kill you here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they're like, well, I guess we're doing it. So <laughs> they, they got put into a situation where, and, and sure enough, they actually went and tried to do the job that they were supposed to do. And that was going to have them reduce Goldbug to, to scrap metal, to just acid burn destroyed scrap metal they were going to do it even mm-hmm. though it's for the greater good but i mean they were going to carry out that mission well he said he was going to destroy the earth and then forgot about it but destroy the yeah earth. i thought he said he wasn't going to let the, they didn't want to let the scraplets get off of earth that's what he said that's what Ratbat said if they weren't able to contain them he was going to destroy the earth good lord yeah all right yeah I don't know if Ratbat had the threat or the firepower to pull that off. I was going to say, that feels like an empty threat coming from a fuel distributor, but maybe. 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 Uh, Let's see. We talked Throttlebots. We talked GB Blackrock getting, uh, I don't know what happened to him. Maybe hypnotized. We don't quite know what's going on there. The Decepticons escaped with the cargo. Yeah. Was I, did I misinterpret that panel it, towards the end with GB Blackrock? Because it, it looked like what Ratbat had for him was like a little, like a microchip kind of a thing. And it, I, I did like this. I think the sound that they made was flip, <laughs> which I thought was great. But it almost looked like, like it did something to him, but then immediately fell off his forehead or something. Mm-hmm. There was like a little something in that panel that I couldn't tell yep. if that was the thing and if it, it did its job and then just like went away. I don't know. I, my guess, looking at it, it, my guess is a hypnosis of some sort. I'm going to play the teaser role here and say, maybe it is, maybe. And even, and even if I went 
fully out and said, yes, Maggie, it was hypnosis. What was he hypnotized to do? Right. Yeah. No, we do not know. We have Mm -hmm. no idea what exactly this mission was. But here's what we do know. Ratbat sent uh, first. He sent um, this pilot to Earth with this cargo. And the whole idea was to have a more efficient way to get fuel for the Decepticon cause. Mm-hmm. That pilot crashed and burned, and that so the cargo went to I think Northern Arizona is where they are. Yep. And then Brat Bat sent the triple changers after that cargo and said, "You have to make sure that this mission is going to be carried out." And so now, you know, they got interrupted by the Scraplets. The Scraplets are dead and gone now. And the triple changers have gone on. They took the cargo. And he, and also part of what Ratbat said was you need to find an influential human. Yeah, with a lot mm-hmm. of money. With a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So looks like the dude who owns trucks might have a lot of money. Good guess. Mm-hmm. And yep. Astro Train said, okay, yep, you're the dude. Astro Train. <laughs> That's yep. who it was. And went, <laughs> yep. And so... It looks like whatever mission Ratbat sent them to do is now a go. What that mission is has yet to be seen. I kind of like that. I like that setting up of the story so that we see, you know, the audience sees parts of it, but I shouldn't say audience, but the, the reader sees, you know, kind of knows that there's a plan and that that plan has been carried out, but you don't know what it is. And you're not going to until I would assume the, the next issue or the next couple um, so I kind of like that because it, it gives you a, a little bit of a mystery, you know, like a little something to kind of chomp on and to look forward to with the next issue. I do know. And I do agree. Uh, John, <laughs> Mac, do I'm y'all have all. I can't remember what his plan is. <laughs> well, learn I, together. I don't know all, but I, I do remember the cover from next issue. And mm-hmm. I know that it has to do with the plan that was being hatched these last two issues. Uh, so I'll be interested to read issue 31 yeah. and see what happens from there. Yeah. But uh, John, Maggie, well, do y'all have anything else to add uh, for Transformers 30? We should probably talk about the um, miraculous secret cure for the scraplets. Sure. Water. Which was, it was water all along. Dihydrogen monoxide? Uh, yeah. I remember this point getting argued like crazy on the old transformers message boards as being one of people who spend even more get get even more into the wool the wooliness nerdy than i do is talking about how there's no way that they couldn't didn't know what water was on cybertron because they're talking about it's such a rare chemical that we don't even know what it is but the, the thing is, is, it doesn't mean they didn't know what water is. It just means they didn't know the chemical. Mm, they mm. obviously know what water is because Bumblebee in the first issue refers to being happy that the planet is covered by water because he likes to go swimming. And uh, also... Oh, sea spray. Sea spray, but he's on Cybertron. Oh, that's yeah, weird. Yeah. And also, well, there's a thing thing um, next issue that involves a lot of water. So either he figures out what it is and decides to go with it. But the, my main thing with ever with the idea of using water as the secret enemy thing, like in uh, what's the Shyamalan and Ding Dong movie? Lady in the Water? No. Oh, the signs? Alien signs. Signs. 
signs where water is acid to them. Swing away, Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, we know. The main thing that that writers don't uh, they they don't factor in when they come up with this uh, is that this there's a lot of water on this planet, not just in liquid form. Even in the desert, if you were something that is going to get instantly dissolved by water, the amount of water in the wa- in the water vapor in the atmosphere is going to cause you some serious problems. I mean, like the aliens and science would have been in constant pain. The scraplets probably would have started disintegrating slowly around the edges. But it's a kid's comic, and it was kind of a neat, the neat answer, the neat Twilight Zoney ending of it was water. Yeah, I think I think you've actually got the good hit the point there. I mean, first of all, it is a comic book. And second of all, it's a comic book for kids. So I think if, if you were like a 12-year-old and they're referring to it as a chemical, right. you're not going to think of water. Mm-hmm. And then when it is revealed as water, you're probably going to be pretty impressed by that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I so, don't have any issues with water being the thing. Right. It's all right. I didn't have an issue with it either. And here's what Bob did. I mean, you notice they landed, they were in Northern Arizona Mm-hmm. So not a lot of water there. And I personally will say, like, yeah, water vapor in the air. Eh, that didn't affect the aliens and signs either, right? Yeah, Until it, like they were just doused with water. So yeah, I, I would I'm fine with it. And yeah, it's possible that Bumblebee or something way back in issues. Uh, past knew what water was, but I would say that water, it, it's a good possibility that water could be a scarcity on planet Cybertron. And oh, I could sure. say that since this was the first time that Scraplets even made it to Earth, that they wouldn't necessarily even be aware, you know, that you know the Transformers had never put two and two together, that water would be the cure for it because they did discuss, they didn't really know what the they knew that there was some long forgotten chemical that might be able to you know, kill the scraplets or mm-hmm. be immediate cure, but they didn't know what it was. I think it was a case of just not being able to put two and two together. Yeah. And mm-hmm. once they did that is now something that they never will forget. That was, a, that was my thinking. One of my favorite things too, and this got used again, which was millions of Vorns ago, there was an outbreak on Cybertron of these things. <laughs> I was like, oh yes. Borns, <laughs> but also because the scraplets got attached to the freighter ship that was sent by Ratbat in a cloud in space. So I, I wondered, like, I thought at first that they would be like a naturally occurring, like, you know, like a virus mm. that existed naturally on Cybertron, but they were just floating around in space as like a big old cloud <laughs> and then attached themselves to the ship. So we don't even really know where the scraplets themselves are from. I think the implication would be Cybertron just because they're also naturally occurring screws and nuts and bolts, but it didn't say for sure. I do like that they transform into nuts and bolts. Yeah. That's, that's they're kind of neat little critters. <laughs> they're menacing. I'm okay for the purposes of this story, not knowing exactly where the scraplets came from. It's like anything. Like maybe if the scraplets were such a big hit that they were like, oh, yeah, tell us more about the Scraplets. Then you learn stuff about it. Like, say, you know, Venom, for instance. Right. All we knew of Venom when Venom first came out was that he was a part of an alien symbiote that Spider-Man found on Beyonder Planet. That was it. Now they have this whole origin of where the symbiotes came yeah. from, like the planet Kleintar or something like that. But that was invented later. 
at oh. like once Venom became super popular and then there sure. was Carnage and then there's any number of other symbiotes and everything. So oh. I think that if the Scraplets were big enough that somebody at some point would have thought enough to make a backstory for them to fit the mold. And who knows? Maybe sure someone has that Scraplet story in mind. There are several of them have been written different versions of them on Prime See? and the other things. In response to people's interest in the little Most buggers? likely or more likely just the writers themselves, like coming yeah, up yeah. with their own answers that they had as a kid. Sure. So cool. Is there anything else, Sean? Not from me. I'm good. I'm hearing silence. So... Let's talk about who had the touch, where we talk about the character in the book that stood out the most. The most. (laughs) (laughs) I hit puberty. Congratulations. Um, Be it Autobot, Decepticon, or human. John, who had the touch? I am going to give the touch to Charlie Fong. Dang, Nabbit. You can also give him the touch. Okay. Charles Fong, in terms of a guy who got tossed into a situation... It last issue and gets and then it gets worse and worse and worse. But he still manages to seize that this is an important mission that he's on and that Goldbug needs to Goldbug is dying and hurt and needs help. And he will go through as far as to push him through the Arizona desert, which I've never been to the Arizona desert. But that doesn't strike me as being something that's much fun. So Charlie Fong's got the touch. Absolutely. Maggie, who had the touch? Yeah, uh, Charlie Fong, for sure. He just met these guys uh, last issue. And he, like like we had mentioned before, he could have just left Goldbug in the desert on his own, but he didn't. He pushed them all the way to, luckily, um, I don't want to say not salvation, but to, to help. You know, mm-hmm. they, they got to civilization and they, they found the cure. Um, he stuck by him and really didn't have any reason to, but kind of attached himself rather quickly to the, to the Autobots and their cause and, and was a, an integral, an integral part of their success in this story. Goldbug would have been lost if it hadn't been for Charlie. So I definitely give the touch to him. Nice. I'm going to go with the human too. Let's go with GB. GB Blackrock. He was kind of the straw that stirred the drink. He nece- didn't necessarily have to answer Goldbug's call. You know, he could have been like, okay, yeah, cool. Got yourselves in a problem. Sounds like a you thing. <laughs> that is kind of his attitude, yeah. And he instead, he sent a couple of water tankers out there to the desert, and he personally supervised them to get past the army cordon that was going on. So mm-hmm. he enabled a lot of the things that went on to help out. And, of course, they hinted that looks like we're going to be seeing a little bit more of GB. So I was interested in that. It seemed like whether he knew it or not, he, GB, was an integral part of this whole plot, this whole storyline. It looks like he's going to be a part of some storylines to come. But I am just a broken machine and I do things that don't really mean. So, yeah, if we talked about the touch, then someone had to be out of touch. We talk about the character that was the worst in the book, and they should try to attack a disease plague by physically touching it. <laughs> in the segment called Less Than Meets the Eye. Hmm. Who was less than meets the eye? Yeah, right? Like, I've been sitting here the whole time 
trying to think about who I would give less than meets the eye to in this story. And I I don't think I don't know. Wow. This might be a first. There was I, I nobody don't. in the book, <laughs> of course in do. my opinion, that I thought was terrible. The Throttlebots had their purpose. Right. Um, Ratbat had his purpose. The humans had theirs. Yeah. Uh, Goldbug and I, Blaster had their had their little arc together. Mm-hmm. No one really acted out of character or was kind of a slouch. The closest I was going to get to was the Throttlebots just for being completely interchangeable. I, I didn't even attempt to try to tell them apart because there was no point. But that wasn't anything to do with them. So I, I don't, I got nothing. Just, I gave it to the scraplets just by nature of having to pick something for the mm-hmm. point of they were doing pretty well, but they did decided that they had to um, show their, you know, Power Ranger villain giganto form <laughs> at the end, which much mm-hmm. like Power Ranger villains is just step one towards getting defeated. Right. When you Next. transform into a big thing, they suddenly could get affected by by the conventional weapons of the triple changers. They whereas will. before yeah, they, you're right. you could shoot at them all day and nothing, but now they're a giant thing and Astro Train and Blitzwing were like, you're gone. Yep. So I'll give peace it to them. By but peace, I think they said. They wanted to, yeah, stomp them out. That's a good point. I didn't think of that. They were a lot better off when they were in their individual forms than when they turned into one big gestalt. <laughs> and then Blaster I then just said, I want to be avenged. And he poured the acid and then he turned away and walked away while the scraplets exploded behind him. Pretty See great. what it did there? It's like the Power Rangers. <laughs> Let's rate the book. Uh, you know the deal, y'all. One through ten. John, what would you rate Transformers 30? That's a tough one mm. because it's it's a serviceable issue and I don't want to rate it low because it would make it think that I, that I think it was bad, which it wasn't. But uh, I'm going to give it a six. Uh, just it, because it's a it's a filler story. It's a two part filler story. It's an interesting filler story that does set some some seeds, you know, into things that happen, which which is good. But ultimately, it was fairly forgettable for me. So I'm going to give it a six, a high six. I'd give it a six point five <laughs> if we did that. But it, but it's it's a six. Six plus. Maggie, you want to go first or second? Uh. I'll go because I'm with John. I was going to give it a six too, just like I, I did with the cover. I wanted it's one better than average. It's a perfectly serviceable story. Nothing about it made me go, holy crap, this is the coolest thing ever, or holy crap, this is the worst thing I've ever read. But it was better, I think, just slightly better than average because there was a lot of stuff going on. Everyone really did have a part to play and did it well. But again, it wasn't anything extraordinary. So I, I give it a six as well. I'm at a seven. Uh, I definitely like. It was self-contained in two issues, in and out, very clean, introduced some cool characters. I really did enjoy Don Perlin's artwork uh, along with Aiken and Garvey. I thought their artwork was very good. And in my mind, uh, the artist Jose Delbo had already entered the book by this point. And every time I bring up an issue, I keep seeing Don Perlin. And I'm like, man, I had that just completely mixed up in my childhood. So I've enjoyed Don Perlin's artwork on this book. He is coming mm-hmm. to his own and done well. So that plus a pretty good self-contained story talking about the adventures of Goldbug and Blaster right now as the two Autobots who have uh, struck uh, away from Grimlock and whatever the heck he's doing with the Autobots at this time. I thought it was pretty good. So I think seven is a good place to land. 
mm-hmm. we can and never will leave you without John segments of the show called Transformers Spotlight, where he discusses a particular Transformers who was featured in today's issue. All yours, yeah. John. We are doing a throttle bot today, guys. Sorry. Uh, we're doing Chase because I own Chase. Uh, between the time, the last one we did where I did Goldbug, I went home to visit my parents and found this little guy in my uh, parents' attic and brought him home. Uh, here's what you find on the back of his tech specs. His motto is Hunters Drive Targets Park. He is a uh, function as Autobot, subgroup Throttlebot. Uh, impatient, overeager, usually 10 miles down the road before other throttle bots have shifted into gear. Likes to brag about past exploits and future conquests. Very popular. In car mode, can cruise to 240 miles per hour. Excellent vision, can see long distances in three directions at the same time. Huh. Possesses an array of radar dishes positioned under roof in car mode. Uh, prone to drive shaft and transmission problems. His strength is a four. His intelligence is a six. His speed is a six. His endurance is a four. His rank is six. His courage is nine. Firepower is one and skill is eight. Chase, like Goldbug before, um, is a throttle bot, as we said. I did want to correct something I said before when I was talking about about how these things transform because they are really, they're rather substandard, although this sturdy the thing still holds together and i can that's how you get the things to snap in the middle um before i thought that if you pulled it back it would drive forward and then transform like the battle charger no you just pull it back and it just goes forward which by 1987 was not exactly what you would consider to be a the cool new toy thing that you would brag to your friends about maybe by like 82 or 83 or something when you had some of those things. But Chase and the rest of the Throttlebots have a few more adventures in this comic. Then they kind of uh, go into the background. Well, actually, something rather major happens to them in a few issues, as I recall. Uh, They do show up again, both in the Dreamwave and the IDW ones. And uh, new toys have been made of them that are far better then these things, as we said before, it's not only do they just pull back and go forward, it's a two-step transformation. I was looking at the scan of the original transformation. They got it. And the first one is, look, you can pull it back and it goes forward. All right, let's transform it. All right, flip this up and flip the arms out. There you go. And it it's mm-hmm. no articulation. It barely has what can be considered arms. And it was the it disappointed several children who received it as gifts. <laughs> but he does look kind of cool. He turns into a red Porsche. Porsche looking something. Porsche looking thing. Did you see his motto is hunters drive targets park? Yes. What does that mean? Is that like a is that like a life philosophy? That's, <laughs> that's why he's moving so fast because he's a hunter. Targets park, you know. He sounds like a dude, bro. I think he's a dude, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but that is Chase. Yeah, I had one of these. I had, I think I may have had Goldbug, and I had Wide Load, uh, the orange dump truck. And yeah, I, I wouldn't say that they were, it was the most you know dynamic, awesome toy, but I think it was one of those six dollar toys. So um. it, they they weren't bank breaking, but it was just kind of one of those cute things to have. But if I had to go back, say let's say if I were looking now to get some old toys, I would definitely go and get like the combiner bots, 
like, I don't know, the Constructicons or the aerial bots or something. I wouldn't care if I had all six throttle bots because all they were were just the miniature robots that didn't really do anything. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, kind of cute, but you're right. I definitely think that uh, Top Spin and Twin Twist, like they were cool because you rev them back and then they popped up and transformed. Yeah. That, those were cool. Same with run, uh, run about and run them up. Mm-hmm. Those are pretty cool. But the throttle bots, eh, not so much. Uh, they were they were okay toys, like just kind of ones that you might pick up and play with and look at for a second, then you put it away and never have to even play with it again for another couple of years. So I think yeah. they would have made a delightful stocking stuffer. Not, definitely not like a main present, but. Perfect for a little stocking stuffer. It's probably how I something you can bring to school with you and annoy your teachers with. That's never bad. I personally kind of dig the pulling them back, and they just I like to make them crash into things. Well, there you go. I don't know. Maybe I'm just easily amused. I guess they found their target audience. I wanted to go off the cliff. Okay. Ah. So (laughs) I'm gonna let y'all do that, and we are gonna go to a promo break. Want to learn a bit about the Transformers? Think you know everything about Cybertron, but are looking to learn a little bit more? Enroll today at Transformers University Podcast. Each episode will tackle a piece of Transformers history, starting in 1984 and marching our way up to today. Hosted by me, Anthony Brucali, three-time Emmy Award winner and consulting producer on Netflix's The Toys That Made Us, and lifelong Transformers fan, we'll go on a journey through cartoons and comics, toys and movies, and all the weird esoterica from around the world, chronicling the adventures of everyone's favorite robots in disguise. Listen to Transformers University on iTunes, Google, Spotify, YouTube, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Transform and roll out! We now return to the Transformers. And that's the show! Please come back and join us for the next episode where we discuss Transformers issue 31, where we get the return of Buster Witwicky, sure, but also the car wash of doom. And come on. As soon as I saw that title, I'm so excited to find out what the car wash of doom is. I don't care how bad it is. If it's bad, I want to know what the car wash of doom is. It's pretty infamous. I'm excited. With that name, you got to come back to us, right? Yeah, for sure. (laughs) If you'd like to hear more from us, the Longbox Crusade is in a lot of places. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, most podcatchers to include Spotify at longboxcrusade.com, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Patreon, all you look for Longbox Crusade, you'll find us. YouTube, please subscribe. We have a do a live stream once a month and a couple other shows like Jared's Creator Spotlight. Me and Jared do a new Warriors podcast called Come Out to Play which I might be biased, but I think it's pretty awesome. Uh, So come check us out. We have some content. We'd love for you to look it up. You can email us at contact at longboxcrusade.com. Special shout out to our Crusaders Club members. $1 a month and you can be a member too. And we'd love to have you. John and Maggie, tell us about your podcast and where y'all can be found on the internet. 
Well, we are uh, MWC Podcast. MWC stands for Married with Comics, Married Watching Cartoons. Married ma- with Content. Married with Content. <laughs> Maggie wants cookies. Yeah, whatever, cookies. whatever we can cram into that MWC little label, <laughs> we'll do this. Uh, we, we talk about various nerdy things. Uh, Transformers related, we also do the Rod Pod under that where we uh, cover the IDW Phase 2 Transformers comics in order internet wise you can catch me best on twitter i am at mwc underscore podcast and i am at maggie n the rain pat's not here but maggie in the rain all right we now have an official podcast there is rain dance maggie it is a song by the red hot chili peppers we've used it as an outro you a number have. of times yeah that's right i mean if but, you're gonna go with one i'd rather it be that i guess than maggie may but never maggie may yeah never please no rod stewart <laughs> I like forever now. I can be found on Twitter at DEE underscore REY 1977. See y'all next time. And remember, freedom is the right of all sentient beings to all are one. Till Til all, all are, are one. one. All songs, song clips, and characters discussed are copyright of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended, and it is for entertainment purposes only. We are just fans that like to share our love of comics. <laughs>